Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. How to equip teenagers to cope with stress and pressure? Our guest is mental skills trainer and school counsellor John Quinn, who says parents and educators need to give young people tools to manage real life. He says stress isn't going to go away, so teens need to be taught ways to manage it. John's worked for two decades with many New Zealand sports teams in the area of leadership, positive psychology, well-being and happiness, mental skills coaching and resilience. He's now joined Christ College in Christchurch as Director of Wellbeing and Positive Education. John, good morning. Uh, good morning, how are you? Really good, thank you. Do you concur that, that life is more stressful for teenagers, or at least more persistently so? There's very little downtime, there's very little time where you're not under scrutiny one way or another. Look, it certainly appears so. I mean, I think students now, um, you know, gone in the days of training twice a week with your sport or, or your music item or whatever it is, now it's almost a five-day-a-week thing or six-day-a-week thing. So I think students are certainly busier uh, in their day-to-day life. I think they're busier in their holidays too because mum and dad are probably both working now, so they're probably in, in uh, you know school programs after school too and, and during the school holidays. So it's certainly a busy, busier society, and I think with uh, technology it's certainly made it um, busier for them also. I'm interested in your role. Uh, has it been a specially created role in some ways? And what will you be doing with the college students? Yeah, look, it is. It's, I mean, we're lucky uh, the board at Cross College and, and Garth Wynn, the, the executive principal who came over from Aussie, um, saw wellbeing as being a really important part of success for these young men. Um, so it's built on the work that Alan Pike did as their school counsellor uh, and bringing in a slightly uh, shift around really focusing on the positive education side of things and how we can uh, entwine that into the school curriculum and bring it into everything we do with the young men. Uh, if we can teach them how to manage life, because the reality is we know life is hard, uh, it's busy, um, you know, stress doesn't go away, so if we can actually give them better tools to manage that, um, they will become more successful and happier when they leave school. Let's come back to the technology. Just reading an article in the Herald this morning. Extreme users, one in six Kiwi teens online for six plus hours a day. Uh, I'm not quite sure whether that means constant grazing or quite intensive sessions, but that would seem to be a lot of time to be, uh, I guess, uh, hooked in again to some kind of online activity. How, how do you see it? How does it fit with, uh, with what you're witnessing with the kids that you're working with? Oh, look, I think if you ask some adults, they'd probably be up that, that space too. I mean, the reality is when we talk about technology, we talk about teenagers, but adults are just as bad, I think, around this. Um, the reality is with technology now, it is a 24-7 day because you can always be reached. Um, I think kids certainly use the technology more because a lot of schools have bring-your-own devices, um, so they're online during the day and obviously online after school too. So it's certainly an area uh, I think schools and families need to get their head around uh, is how we... Uh, allow them to do their schoolwork and, and, and use the internet as it's meant to be used but not get hooked into it because, I mean, a lot of those games, a lot of the things there are very addictive uh, and they're meant to be that way so the kids could, do get hooked into it. Um, so it's certainly an area we need to be very vigilant around, um, not just education but at homes too. How do you build that into what you do? Because obviously it's also fundamental to their lives these days and there are many positive 
aspects of it as well, but it comes down to, as you say, um, some of the disadvantages or some of the things that you need to be geared up on. And a lot of it, of course, is the impact of social media and the presentation of perfect lives, either you presenting yours that way or others. Uh, we've talked endlessly about um, some of the other uh, unhealthier uh, interactions or riskier interactions that can happen. But when you look at how to manage it, be resilient under the uh, impact of, of um, technology and, and, and always being on, how do you approach it? Oh, look, many aspects. I mean, the reality is schools can do so much. I mean, the key uh, relationships are with families and the community we're working with them because the reality is most schools have their students for six hours. Parents have them for 18 hours a day. Um, so it's how we educate everyone around this. I mean, this isn't a, a one one-step approach to fix all this. But the key thing around resiliency is you actually have to overcome something. So we need to actually allow our students uh, and our children to fail uh, and actually embrace failure and be okay with that. Um, parents seem to fear that at the moment. So often parents will come in and try and protect their kids from failure, um, you know, work the school around it. You know, if their student doesn't make a sports team, they will be in there. And this is a very generalised comment, you know, asking why. In the day, I mean, kids miss out on things all the time. It's okay. And the way to develop resiliency is actually going through things. So it, it's around a collective approach and getting the philosophy around what we're trying to do with our students and our families and, you know, what success looks like. Because um, to, to bounce back from things, you actually have something to have to bounce back from. So we can't keep clearing the road for our kids. We've actually got them to uh, get to a point where they actually, failure is okay because that's where we learn and that's where we grow. Two things there. One is failure and redefining what it is in different contexts and what yep. its role is. But the, the other thing you said is parents clearing the way. How much uh, in schools and in other environments, actually, even you know, in the, in, in the sports team environment, are you seeing this idea that if um, son or daughter doesn't get what is expected, parent actually intervenes? In some extreme cases around sport, we've seen we've seen lawyers getting involved. What are the role of the parents? At what point should they be intervening? And at what point should they be staying out and letting the student, letting the young person navigate either experience or navigate their own way through a situation? Oh, look, it's a good question. I don't think there's a answer. I think some of it's the, obviously the age of the child. But I think the key thing is actually getting the students or the young person to, to go back and inquire about the why of what's happened and let them actually fight their battles. Now, obviously, if it's not done in a way or the, the answer's not appropriate or they haven't managed it very well, maybe the parents do get step involved. But the reality is it's all these things are about, they're about sport, which is a game, which is meant to be fun. So it's OK to miss out on teams. It's OK not to achieve things. It's OK not to win. Um, but we've certainly shifted, uh, you know, school sports certainly shifted in, in the last 10 years around winning, uh, around performance, uh, which is we've got to be really careful of because, you know, schools are not high-performance environments. Um, they are, though, schools. increasingly, aren't they? Well, well they're and, not because they're not high-performance. They, they will have that tag, but I'd really challenge them whether they actually provide a high-performance environment because they shouldn't because, you know, a proper high-performance environment will be uncompromising. Schools generally will compromise because they have parents. Um, basically around it. So it's a, it's a term that's loosely used, a lot of high performance, but realistically they're not high performance environments. Schools are schools and that's what they should be for. We, you know, our role is at schools is, you know, whether it's a co-ed or a single-sex school, is to develop young men and women to be great citizens. It's, our role isn't to develop them to be sports people. Um, our role is to give them uh, skills and qualities and characteristics that allows them to be successful in Are life. you concerned then by some of what you're seeing at some high schools that have so-called um, high performance or sports academies attached that are putting kids on pretty full-on physical and other training regimes. Uh, is that something that you believe is going too far in some cases? 
Yeah, look, again, there's a balancing act because we want to give our young people opportunities to stretch themselves and push themselves, but also we've got to be clear on what we're trying to do at schools. So, look, I think potentially some schools have gone a little bit too far and it has become, you know, a key thing around their sport. Now, the reality is there will be some athletes that will make a career out of sport, but, you know, if we model coddle them too much in a high school environment we're not actually giving them the skills to manage a high performance sport anyway because high performance sport is very brutal um, as someone said to me the other day it's like going for a job interview every week and if you get the job you've got to re-interview for the next week to see if you get the next job it's a constant uh, battle and that's often a mental battle so if we can at school start gearing these young people with some tools around life um, not just in the sporting context but about life context because we want life to be easy but the reality is it's not um, and so we've got to be careful that we don't make schools this lovely bubble which is really safe and secure because when they leave school that's not what the world's about. Um, there's a lot, lot, lot more to it. So I think we've got a responsibility to give our young people better tools. Um, and as parents, we've got to make sure we're doing that too. I mean, parents have to really make sure they embrace what the school's trying to do because schools, that's what schools should be trying to do. The role of failure, in some ways there is a risk of it being written out of the script. And there's a great deal of emphasis, and understandably so, given what the consequences can be, on getting high pass rates for um, NCEA, particularly up through level two, um, on, on trying to ensure that as many students as possible are leaving with qualifications. So that, that's one environment, I guess. But are we right across the scope of the schooling and education experience leaving room for the re reality that failure can be part of becoming better, learning, adjusting course? Where do you see the use of that word even, or similar words, or the experience yeah. of it in our secondary schools? Okay, look, a really good question. Um, look, for me, if you t take the word failure out and just change it to learning, I think that's the key part. We want our kids to learn and we want them to be prepared to learn, and, and you learn through often failure. You, you learn through um, trying things and then working out it didn't work, so you learned what that didn't work that way, or you actually learned how to do it the right way. And I just think we just need to do more of it. You know, parents need to understand that, you know, if they don't pass a test in year 11, who actually cares? It won't really impact on them for the rest of their lives. I mean, by the time they finish school, most employers don't really understand NCA anyway. What they look for, I mean, if marks were so important and, you know, uh, something we had to really focus on, well, then you wouldn't have job interviews. All you'd do is you'd get a CV and find the person with the best marks and give them the job, but we don't. We actually want to see who they are as people, um, what are their qualities, what are their values, and what are their characteristics. So they're the things we actually need to really tie in with the academia too, because some people, it is very important, their marks, because they want to be get into certain courses at university. But, you know, it's no, I haven't seen any research that equates high marks to happiness or well-being or success. Um, it's the aversion, though, to taking risks that can come if there is a constant fear yep. of even a you know, temporal fleeting experience of failure, right? You don't push yourself beyond your current levels if you are scared that it's going to involve failure and if you have a fear of failure. And is, is that, again, something that you're mindful of with, with some students? Well, look, definitely, and I'll talk about it a lot. I said, let's embrace it. Let's fail as much as we can. I mean, I think that's what it's all about. Often, look at the greatest leaders who are held up as being great leaders. Often they've failed beforehand. I mean... Richie McCaw is a prime example. 2007, he was one of our West All Black captains because they lost a World Cup, and then he became probably our greatest one um, through learning from that experience. So I think we've got to get young people and uh, the adults in this world too to understand it's okay. Um, if people are too scared to fail, they won't actually move outside their comfort zone, and they will sit there, and that's not 
a helpful life to live. It's, it's existing, it's not living. Um, so we didn't really need to embrace that, that failure is how we learn. Um, you know, it, it's something we should be embracing, whether it's on the, a sporting context, musical, academic, anything. Um, so we do need to work with our young people around that and, and reframe it for them. On the question of stress, I've heard this from school principals and certainly lots of feedback from elsewhere. There is so much testing and assessment and therefore these relentless deadlines uh, when you add that into a lot of the after-school commitments and extracurricular commitments as well, are we seeing more and more kids simply struggling to keep up? And how is that stress manifesting in some cases? Yeah, look, and sometimes it, it, the word I often use from the kids is they're overwhelmed. Uh, and what we know, the teenage brain, is that they're not great at organisation. They're not great at making sure they've got the right books in their bags. We know that. They're not that great at doing it. And as adults, you know, we're better at doing that sort of stuff because we're a bit more mature. So some of it is, yeah, we're probably giving them or putting things on their plate they're actually not ready for mentally. Uh, and that's not through because they can't. It's just they're not they can't do it yet, uh, and they will get it later on. So I think you know, as parents, we've got to make sure we sit down with our young people and actually see what their week looks like, and give them a hand because kids are very good um, people pleasers, so they'll say yes to everything. Um, so we just need to kind of bring it back and, and, and making sure parents aren't getting their self worth or their their how they feel about themselves because their young person is very good at sport or very good at music or very good at drama. I mean, at the end of the day, is their self worth has to come through other things, not through their children. I think that's where that emotional buying comes in, and that's where probably some parents um, struggle a bit because often with these sports and these activities, they cost a lot of money, and once you invest money in it, people want to return on that money. Um, so yeah, I think the stress manifests itself in many ways and it can come through in, in anxiety, it can come through in depression, it can come through in anger, it can come through in people, young people rebelling from it and just not doing it. So it comes through in many ways. Um, and I said we just need to, you know, as the adults in this, you know, we're the guardians of our young people, we're the guardians um, of, the, of what, what's okay and what's not okay. So we just need to make sure we're giving them some good things to aspire to. How do you have those conversations where you are seeing some of those reactions and it's clear that it's something wrong uh, and maybe your expectations or others' expectations are the ones that need to be adjusted, not your students? How do you have an open conversation that draws that sort of information out? Slowly and carefully. Um, again, it goes back to education. If we can, you know, if collectively schools can start doing this together, um, if collectively we can start challenging parents, if collectively we can start getting clarity of what schools are actually for. You know, schools are around educating young people. It's about socialising young people. It's about giving them skills to manage life. It's not about developing them to be the next... Um, you know, sports person or musical person, whatever it is, it's around doing those real core things. We want our young people to to leave school. We want our young people to leave school with with vision, um, with wanting to be a career athlete, career musician, you know, career drama person. So they take those things into their day to day life because we know a lot of those activities give us positive emotions, and that allows us. To, part of us is about part of the wellness and happiness stuff. So we want to make sure kids finish school with all the tools to actually live the life we want them to live. Because at the end of the day, they're going to be the kids who are going to make our rest home. So we've got to make sure they're, uh, they're doing the right things. So the positive education uh, element is not your predetermined set of what the results and outcomes should be. It is what? It is about a child who is in a positive loop, uh, looking forward to doing things, feeling capable about doing things, whatever those things are. 
Yeah, look, the positive education is an umbrella term used from the positive psychology part to it. So it's embracing things around like the growth mindset and what that looks like, and, and it goes back to that failure stuff and looking forward to challenges. It's around the young people the ability to become really mindful of what they're trying to do so they can learn to, to manage their thoughts, because if you manage your thoughts, you often manage how you feel. Um, it's understanding you know, what their strengths are. I mean, it's a key one, is that a lot of these young people don't understand what their strengths are, um, so they don't know where they get their confidence from. And as you touched on at the very start, the social media side is massive, so some of these young people get their self-worth by how many likes they get on Snapchat or Facebook or whatever, which is that real, you know, obviously artificial way of getting happiness. So it's, if we can give them the tools to uh, manage what life chucks them, because life will chuck many things, whether it's a separation, whether it's a death in the family, whether it's not getting a job or getting a job, all those things that happen to us, if we can get them to understand that's part of life and it's okay, it's not fatal, life will go on. Um, there's things that you can actually do to manage that. You know, we're, we're doing a good job then. What are those tools specifically? Because you mentioned you can get the external information that you can internalise, which is the you know stuff coming at you from social media, uh, or indeed things that are happening in your own life. As you say, it might be a, a family separation, a parental separation, or it might be a death in the family. So you've got the incoming, right? But then there's this idea that there is an element of choice. We all have our own personal settings, no doubt, mood settings, emotional settings, chemical settings. But there is an element of choice to how you deal with that incoming. And when you talk about the tools that will be positive rather than negative in trying to manage these situations, what specifically are they? Look, I suppose some of it's around the growth mindset, which I just touched on. I mean, Martin Salomon, who wrote the book Flourish, uses a model uh, around uh, the PERMA model, which is the ability to understand PERMA, P-E-A-M-A, which is the P is positive emotions. You know, how do you get your positive emotions on a day-to-day basis? And it sounds such a simplistic question, but we often don't book those things in. We hope positive emotions will arrive, we hope nice things will happen to us that we'll feel good about, but often in a week it doesn't happen. Um, so it's what do you do to create those positive emotions, which again can then weigh up the negative things that happen in our life, because when things bad happen, that's okay, it's just what do you do to actually move forward from that. The E part to it is our ability to be engaged, what are we actually engaged in? You know, And it's a really interesting question to ask people who have been in jobs for a long time, you know, are you actually engaged in what you want to do? Young people, are they actually engaged in the subject choice that they're taking, because we know when we're not engaged, um, you know, the flow state when we talk about when things are going well often doesn't happen. The R part to it is about relationships. You know, how do we build relationships that empower us, make us feel good, uh, and making sure they're real relationships, they're not social media relationships. You know, having 2,000 friends on Facebook, that's not a relationship. It's that, that meaningful relationship which is important. And the M is, the M is that meaning and purpose. You know, what are they actually here for? Um, and it, it's a question that it's a really good question to ask all of ourselves is you know what is our meaning and purpose for being here because often we get caught up in, in what that is and what it can look like and the A is around achievement if they can understand what achievement looks like what success looks like and that success you know for young people is working hard it's showing commitment it's having good values it's having respect it's being honest all those things that we know will make them good people it's not about passing you know getting excellence in year 12 biology um, that's nice to get, but I'd rather see young people celebrate that they worked really hard to achieve that, not the actual result from it. The meaning and purpose thing is a big one at this age. It's uh, an age where people are particularly vulnerable on a couple of fronts. One is their own sense of self-worth, because yes. they haven't done a lot of living, they haven't necessarily had all the relationships you've had by the time you're older, or all the experiences you have uh, by the time you're older. Uh, so that is a difficult one to establish at that age, or can be. And the other is 
what is the what is the point question? It is one of the most challenging times of life to address that question. And for young people who are either overtly or covertly struggling with that, what conversations do you have? Oh, look, many. I mean, at the end of the day, is that it takes time. I mean, there's there's 40, 50-year-olds I know who don't really know what they mean. Is it takes a bit of time, and I think that's the key part. I mean, they're saying this generation could have, have up to six or seven careers in their lifespan. Um, now that's not different jobs; that's careers. So they will be they will need to be adaptable, and sometimes the ability to understand what you want to do now could change later on. So it's more again; it's just about sowing those seeds, them having the conversations around. You know, because for many, school doesn't have a lot of sense to them because they don't really know what they want to do after school. You know, if you're clear you want to go to university and study this, well, school has a bit more connection because you know if you do this, pass this, you'll get there. But for young people who don't know that. You know, I, I know parents get very frustrated with it, but sometimes the kids don't know. And, you know, university's not a great place either if you don't really know what you want to do. If there's no meaning behind you going to that lecture, generally you won't go to that lecture. So it, it, it's, I suppose it's a process, and it's a long process for some. Some are really clear early on, but, again, that can change later as life goes on and as you experience new things. That existential question, though, that can taunt at different times of life, but, again, is perhaps particularly vulnerable when young people are... I mean, they are stretching their wings, they're getting an element of freedom, they're becoming adults, but they haven't necessarily had a lot of experiences yet that might give them any sort of answer to that question. Do you openly discuss that, either in private? I know you've been involved as a counsellor in a previous school, but either in private or as part of group discussions? Does it it openly? And how so? Oh, look, definitely. It's a great question because, I said, people, they don't know what they don't know. So the more we can actually... uh, explore the question and look at what, what it can look like the better it is and as I said it's you know I, I think it changes for all of us at different times and I think as we get older you know our priorities change sometimes you know for me you know when I was young probably family wasn't that important when you're young because you're too important doing everything else but as you get older you realize how important family is and the same for teenagers and if you said to them how important is your family most would probably go oh yes yeah, kind of okay but as you get older you realize understand when you have your own family how important family is so it's just about again sowing the seeds with them and, and, and getting them to understand it's okay if you don't know at the moment you know, you don't need to know everything by the time you're 18 and leave school because when you leave school, you'll be experiencing other things which will probably change as we go through. Um, but that, if we can get the, the, I think if we can get the sense of community with them around meaning is really helpful, um, around that giving back, and I know that's a really important part of what Christ want to do this year and the next few years is get them to understand it's around giving back too, not just not just taking. So that's a really important part of meaning for them. The other thing is that internal monologue, and as a mental skills coach, I'm sure you've probably got some techniques for that, but there's a lot of voices in the head sometimes uh, doing their own thing and not always helpful to the owner of that head. Um, And how do you you help them with understanding the internal monologue or the internal dialogue or whatever it is? And uh, again, taking a little bit of control over that or at least giving it a break from time to time. Yeah, look, and again, the key thing around that is just normalising it. I think often when you talk to anyone and if they find their head chatters going uh, places and and, you, and they talk to you about it, you go, well, you realise that's what most people think. Often they, they get quite surprised because um, often we think what's in our, our head is, is only to do with us. But the reality is your brain will go to the negative most of the time. Um, that's how it rolls. But we can learn to train it through, you know, 
exercise like mindfulness exercise is a great way because, I mean, you talked about the word control. I don't think we can ever control our thoughts, but we can learn to manage those thoughts. And when the more we can understand that negative thoughts are okay, it's not about being positive all the time because that's impossible also, but it's just our ability to notice our thoughts and then choose whether we, whether we want to keep them or not. And I think that's the key message. You know, for most of us in this world, we do have a choice around our, you know, what we do with our thoughts. We don't have to sit with them. We can allow them to go. Um, so it's a, it's a constant challenge for young people because their thoughts are often not very rational as ours are as adults. So it's around giving them some tools around that to practice literally managing their thoughts. Good talking to you. Thank you. Uh, that is our guest, John Quinn, who's now at Christ College and Christchurch, Director of Wellbeing and Positive Education. He has uh, worked in a number of previous roles as well uh, and is, I think, a registered counsellor to the Family Court. And you can, from now on, access all of our parenting interviews going back quite some time, some years, in fact, I think, by clicking on the Collections button at the top of our 9 to Noon webpage, or you can scroll down to the bottom of the webpage and click on it as well. There's a, a lot of uh, wise words uh, that have gone back over the years that can be uh, accessed that way. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com.